I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wants support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for What's Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Emerson! Welcome back to the Bora Breakdown podcast with Johnny, Dana and Tom. We're the Bora podcast that gives you the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs of Middlesbrough Football Club. And today I'm so glad uh, we're joined by a guest who's played over 250 games professionally and is now an excellent coach at West Bromwich Albion and um, assisting Sam Allardyce in the Premier League. And um, we're so glad to welcome to the podcast, Robbie Stockdale. Robbie, welcome. How are you doing? Very well, thank you guys. Very good. Yeah, yourselves? Yeah, really good, thank you. Very good. Really good. Um, Robbie, I'm, I'm going to start at right at the very beginning. Um, you're a young lad from Redcar, um, but growing up, was football always something that you wanted to get into? Yeah, I mean, I'll have to pull you up there. I was I was in mask to start Mask? Yeah, <sighs> and those people, you know. Um, so, yeah, so um, obviously, Borough born, grew up in mask, moved to Redcar when I was about 14. Um, but, yeah, I think... As, as far back as I can possibly remember, it was football, football, football all the way. Um, playing out in the, in the street after school, playing for primary schools, playing for districts, all, all the way through. It was all I ever wanted to do. I was I was very focused on that. I was very dedicated with it. Um, and no other, to be honest, no other thing came, came close to it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, grew up a Middlesbrough fan. Um you know, got into the School of Excellence at about seven, eight years old, which was at Ayrson Park. You three too young, aren't you? You've been to Ayrson Park, will you? Yeah, just, 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 not. just a bit. Yeah. Just a bit. Just a little bit. You've seen black and white photos of me playing at Ayrson Park, haven't you? <laughs> um, so Ayrson Park, and um, I know we might go on to it later, but at 14, it's a little bit different then to what it is now. You're, you, you could sign schoolboy forms which sort of made you associated with that club. And I remember signing, uh, I remember it quite clearly, actually. It was I was on the 14th birthday at Ayrson Park, signing on the pitch uh, with the then manager, Lenny Lawrence, and a, a youth development guy called Ron Bourne, who's retired recently. We drew with Portsmouth in front of about 4,500 supporters. Um, and, and that was sort of my, my start point 
sort of signed on with the club, really. Um, but yeah, it was always football. I grew up watching the team. Fortunate enough to be ball boy at every home game because I knew the guy that ran the ball boys. <laughs> and started to find a position next to the home dugout. So I was Lenny Lawrence's right-hand man on the, on, the, on the ball boy situation. So if we were losing, I got the message around to the rest of the ball boys. We have to throw the ball in quick. If we were winning, you slow it down. So all that kind of stuff, it was great. Yeah, slow it down, throw the ball at the fans, just slow it slow down. Like... Well, multi-ball at that time as well, so the ball went up into the stand, it could take a couple of minutes to get back, all yeah. that, you know, all the dark arts that people call it. Now, we were doing that years ago, honestly. <laughs> it, it's, to be fair, it, it, it hasn't changed too much, though, has it really? But in terms of your, your YES forms and, and coming through the, 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 the centre of excellence, originally you were forward, forward correct? Um so obviously the transition's gonna I'm gonna come to the transition in a second, but at the time when you're going through the, the center of excellence, is there anyone that you looked up to? Do you have any heroes at that time or anyone that you're inspired to be like? Well, the team would have been that time people like and I actually went on to play with quite a few of them later on, but it would have been um someone like Stephen Pears in goal, Gary Parkinson, uh, Tony Mowbray, Pally. Jimmy Phillips would have been around that time. Um, you know, the big stars, I guess, with someone like Bernie Slaven, Stuart Ripley, um, all these kind of names. So they, they, were the, they were the the kind of people that I used to watch every other week um, at Essen. So um, as a young kid, you kind of flip between heroes, don't you? But it was the team. Yeah. It, it, it was the team that I supported and... Um, like you say, everybody wanted to be Bernie Slaven, but he was always offside. Everybody wanted to be Stuart Ripley, but he'd kick the ball over the goal when he's crossing. Tony Moore, everybody wanted to be Tony because he'd come up with cuts and bruises everywhere. And, and so it, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily um, say there was one player that I sort of idolised. It was more a it was more a team kind of ethic that, that I really liked and, and just supported them all the yeah. way through, really. Yeah, that, that team is, is very well loved by a lot of Bora fans and there's you can't, you don't really have to explain why to be honest but is there anyone in that team or is there anyone that who was with you during your academy days that give you a bit of advice that's always stuck with you uh, no because I mean it wasn't the same as what it was now so school of excellence was literally you train maybe twice a week on a on a, on a weeknight in the gym at Aston you play on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning, but you're allowed to play for all your other clubs as well. So yeah. kids now in academies, they're associated to a club. They maybe train five times a week. They can only play for the club on a weekend. And it, it, it wasn't like that. But I think the biggest influences at that time are, are more the coaches. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was really fortunate. I was very kind what you said about where I am now and, and the coach I am. I actually think it's a completely different skill set to, to coach younger players and get them engaged and teach them the basics. And I, I, I was really lucky that I had some top ones at Middlesbrough, um, you know, to name check a few, Ron Bourne, Stan Nixon, Dave Geddes, Kenny Wharton, all, all names that maybe not mean much to you, but kind of um, kind of put the, the building blocks and the ground base of, of what you later become. Um, and it wasn't just the skills and, and the techniques. And it, it was understanding of the game. It was understanding that you have to work hard at it, that 
you have to be humble and respectful to oppositions. All that kind of stuff came into it. You know, it was, it was a, it was, it was a different time to what it is now. But and people called it old school. People call it old school now, and I hate. <laughs> I think it's just common values and how you treat people and hard work. Why, why is that old school? That should be what we're doing all the time, yeah. shouldn't we? Oh yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It's strange that people find it like uncommon people find that uncommon where it should just be a natural behavior for people shouldn't it so it, it's bizarre that that people think about that but in terms of, of those people that were the father figures to you essentially the, the, players, the people that you mentioned um at the guided you because when you were there you hung on every word because you want to impress them yeah you know, every training session and there's a pecking order every training session isn't there even even now kids will find out where and players, senior players do. Well, I'll put a training session on. It's competitive because they want to they want to show people what they can do and they want to be better than the player they're playing against. Um, so father figure is probably a bit too strong, but certainly in terms of the influence your behaviours, yeah, I would say that. And we were fortunate enough to go when I was a little bit older, probably 14. I think we won the Milk Cup in Ireland under 14 level. And I was the captain of that team. We beat Man United in the final at Coleraine, and the Milk Cup was the biggest youth tournament. Mm. Probably, I'd say in Europe at the time, you had teams coming from all over the place. And we won that, and then uh, we went to a tournament in Milan. We beat AC Milan in the final under 15s, and we had a really strong team. And um, So it was quite, it, it, it pushed you to be better and better all the time. Um, and the coaches sort of, um, that kind of made that environment competitive. So every yeah. training session got out. It was, it was full on. You know, it was it was you trying to impress. So in that terms, maybe not father figures, but certainly an influence on on how you behaved and how you played. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think so. When you when you mentioned there, you're playing playing like the milk cup, milk cup, and you're also traveling traveling the globe playing for Middlesbrough, really, and. Uh, Originally, now you can you can fact check me on this one, but originally you're a striker. You've moved to right back. Now, obviously, in academy you are you are taught to play different positions where you'll probably start off on right back in one half. You might move to centre midfield, the second half you might go up front. Um, was that same? Was that quite similar to you? We uh, did you just play right back one day and everyone thought, ah, oh, you know what, that's that's a position that could really suit him because you can see the game right in front of you, can't you? And so it was that an easy transition to make. Um, do you know what? It- I can't remember exactly how it sort of manifested itself. So you're right. I was I was more of a forward player, or actually a centre midfielder or a winger. Um, but then, when so so for my Sunday League team, and it was the same Sunday League team, but I played with people like Anthony Ormerod was in it. Yeah. And we also played for Borough, um, and we had we had a strong sort of group of lads. But I always played. I never ever played at my own age group not for Sunday leagues or for Middlesbrough. I always played one or two years above myself um, to challenge me. And yeah. I, was, I was quite a good player, so it wasn't so, you know, I, I, I could take it easy. They were always pushing you. So I remember um, I remember playing for Middlesbrough's youth team, which is under 18s. So obviously you leave school, so it'd be between 16 and 18s, that, that squad of players. And I remember playing for that team at 14 because I felt I could handle yeah. it. And they probably thought, you know, if they play me, play me in midfield at 14 against 18-year-olds, it'd be a bit too much for me. Centre-forward, you might find it. So it might have naturally be, well, we'll play him at right-back because he's not 
directly up against people physically. Yeah. You might have a winger to cope with and all the rest of it. I get that. So it might have manifested itself like that and just developed over time. And then, um, again, the year above me at Middlesbrough, there wasn't many came through my age, but the year above me was Anthony Ormerod, Steve Baker, Andy Campbell, uh, Craig Harrison was a year above that. Uh, Mark Summerbell was, was Craig's year. So I had five players there already ahead of me in certain positions. Um, so probably 16, 17 was where I started to find my niche at this right-back position and and just sort of went, went from it from there, really. And also probably it was a blessing in disguise because I look at some of the senior players above those boys I just mentioned and it would have been very difficult to get into a midfield with the players that the, the first team had and they were signing new Ravinelli's and all these kind of players in centre-forwards, you probably thought, well, I'm not going to... Yeah, I'm probably best off at right-back. Yeah, played it safe at right-back, just like uh, the, safe, the safest option. Everyone <laughs> says that's a boring day. I always say it's the most important position, but I would, wouldn't I? Well, well to be fair, the, the way the game's changing now, when you see the likes of, obviously... The, exa- the natural example would be Trent and Trent and Robertson. How much they impact Liverpool's play? It's 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 starting to come back around again, isn't it? Obviously, and cause the overlap and stuff like yeah, that. So yeah, they're, they're giving us all fullbacks a bad name. To be honest, I never played. Like that. <laughs> so, I mean, what they're doing going up the halfway line—that's terrible. Um, yeah. it, has, it has developed. They are more sort of wingers now, aren't they? Um, yeah. You know, I, I was never that, and I wouldn't I wouldn't pretend to be, but. Um, you know, there was somebody on the other side of the pitch. I had two actually uh, on the other side of the pitch at left left back that thought they were wingers, and sort of they got the glory of that. And I had to do the mopping up with the other two centre backs at the back. <laughs> so, w- would you have preferred to go go the further forward, or were you happy just to stick back? Um, well, no, you always you always do. I, do, do you know? Uh, I played behind players, and this is going to sound like the right cop out. I played a lot of time <laughs> behind players who had more freedom to do what they wanted to do because I was behind them. Yeah. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, so if I think of the players that I played behind, uh, when I first broke in, it would have been players like, oh, my memory, Phil Stamp. Um, who else would have played on the right? That's Alan Johnston, Jonathan Greening, Carlos Marinelli, I think, Janino might have played in front of me a couple of times. So all these players, I felt, were a bit freer than a normal sort of winger that would do the job up and back, up and down the pitch. And I always felt it was my job just to, to support them. And, you know, Carlos was a nightmare to play behind. Brilliant, but a nightmare. <laughs> you'd give them the ball and you'd overlap them and they wouldn't pass you it, they'd lose it. And then I'd run back past them the other way to get into my defensive position, giving them all the names under the sun. And I'd keep doing it. Um, so I was I was the best decoy runner as an overlap ever. Um, but yeah, just, I, I don't know. And I think because we had left-backs that were very, very good at going forward, better than I was, it just kind of balanced out a little yeah. bit. Um, so I think of the left-backs would have been Dean Gordon when I first played there, um, Christian Zieger and, and Frank, Frank Quidrew. And they were all brilliant going forward. So two fullbacks went forward. It kind of left the rest of the team exposed. So I just used to say, oh, you, you do what you like. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make sure we're nice and safe at the back here. Go on, Tom. Do you want to um, take through? 
Yeah, definitely. Mo- moving on to um, the start of your senior career at uh, Middlesbrough. Made your first team debut in 2-0 FA Cup win against QPR. Playing 90 minutes on your debut. Uh, when did you find out you were getting the start? Um, and how was that experience? It was great. I remember it, I got found, uh, found out the day before. So Brian Robson was the manager. Um, it was the right replay against QPR. I think I wasn't involved in the first game. And um, found out I was playing the day before, and um, it was before I had a mobile phone, so I couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> and driving home uh, to me, I was living at my parents at the time in Redcar, driving home from the training ground, and it came on the radio that I was going to be playing. And that was like a big, well, hairs on the back of your neck. You're all excited, and then you start to shoot yourself a bit. Oh my God, I'm going to be playing. Can't believe it. Um, didn't sleep a wink. Uh, got to the game, I was the only one in a tracksuit. Everybody else had club suits. So that makes you feel a bit awkward straight away. Um, vividly remember that their team going up, and oh, I can't remember who I was meant to be playing against it on their left wing. But as their team lined up, it was Trevor Sinclair, who was just in the England squad and everything at the time. And, and to be honest, yeah, just, just, just very, very nervous, just, just really thinking. Uh, don't make a mistake. Um, I remember getting cramped in both my calves after about 20 minutes of the first half, just with the anxiety and nerves of it all. Um, but then we won the game, and you know it, it sort of just it sort of just drifts into the back of your of your mind. And um, I remember it was a midweek game, and the youth team had a game on a Saturday. Discussion: well, Do I play for the youth team? It was decided I shouldn't, uh, but I wasn't going to be in the senior squad. But because the youth team were away, I had to do the jobs for the first team on the senior squad. So I got man of the match on the Wednesday, and then I was pumping up the balls and putting the kit out on the Saturday for players who were playing. So it kept you grounded. But it was yeah, it was it, it was one of those things that unless you've lived it for your hometown club and you support them all your life and big every game, it was like it was it was a fantastic feeling, yeah. And you you went on to play one more game uh, that season before you. Came more established in the next season after that, uh, after promotion, uh, where you played 22 games in that season. Um, so as, as a kind of 19, 20 year old, you, you're playing in the Premier League for your hometown club. Do you ever kind of have a, I must be dreaming here uh, moment, or do you kind of just take it all all in stride? Both, really. I think I think if you, I never. So I was, I was 17 when I played the debut. So the next thing I've been 18, and I think you never. You never take it for granted, and I, and I never ever did. I always I always remember a quote from an older player, and it was Stuart Pearce, and I I read a quote. But when he got called up to the England squad, he always felt if he played well in one game, it meant he'd get the next. But then he'd act in that game to get the next, and that's the kind of mentality I had. Um, did I sometimes pinch myself and think this is what I'm doing 100%? But at the same time, I wanted more of it. And I felt if if you just think, well, this is it, this is great, I've made it, then you don't get the next bit. So it was to be honest, it was it was a little bit of both. You know, there was moments where you think, wow, look look where I'm playing here. But then you have to snap out of that because if you if you have that mentality, you're not going to perform on the pitch. You're going to be in awe of everything. So a little bit of both, really. Yeah, definitely understandable. That like, I mean, 
in that team uh, that we were playing in, you had the experienced players, the likes of uh, Andy Townsend, Paul Merson, Gaza, even Brian Robson as, as manager, kind of uh, ex-Man United player, ex-England uh, international. Um, so how, how important was it as a, as a young player to kind of have that experience in the team and, and managing it while you're establishing yourself in it? Yeah, it was re- really useful. Um, and as much in training as anything else, um, Again, I go, I go back to my day. I don't remember much of that season in terms of who was playing, but I remember my debut and I was playing alongside uh, Nigel Pearson, was playing Steve Vickers, Robbie Muster was in me. And it, it does, it just helps you through. There's no doubt about it. You know, it's it's a bit of a... Um, the, the settle you down, the sort of give you, you know, tuck in, push you on, all that, all that kind of stuff that a senior player should do with a young player coming in. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely helped without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, it was it was definitely a dressing room full of characters uh, as well. Have uh, you got any stories from that time you, you were able to share with us? Uh, um, yeah, it was just it was it was just different. So back back in I'm going to say I'm going to sound really old now. Back in those days, um, <laughs> used to, used to have to share hotel rooms and 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 stuff like that. I remember my, my very first trip I had to share with Gary Pallister. And um, I remember Pally on the phone to it, to his wife and I was so nervous. You can imagine I was a 17, 18-year-old kid and you ex-Man United Championship and all the rest of it play. And he just he just started to... Uh, he was on the phone to somebody and he just said, yeah, Robbie started down room with him, just a young kid, blah, blah, blah. And then he just let me over here. Yeah, he's not even Randy Bath yet. I'll make me a cup of tea. And I'm looking, thinking, is that what I'm? So I let it go. He put the phone down. I let it go for a couple of minutes. You know, trying to act all cool. And uh, guys, you want a cup of tea? I'm just going to put the kettle on. He started obviously wetting himself with laughter. It was all a big, all a big joke. Um, but do you know what? It was just a game without sounding like an old old fogey. It was it was a bit different times. You know, you could go out and. The few lads could, you know, after a game could go out for a meal, and there was no camera phones in your face. There was no, no uh, social media. You you could let your hair down a little bit, um, and I, I don't mean that in an unprofessional way. But I see the lads now, and every move is sort of filmed and captured, and the cat the cat do anything. Yeah. Um, well, it was a bit, it was a bit freer, I'd say, that, that those times, but. You know, it is what it, it, it times change, don't they? And, and what they've got now, they've got so many um, possibilities through all of that, and some of them quite quite embrace it. Absolutely. Um, in the 2000 2001 season, uh, the season afterwards, you were sent out on loan to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, how did that move come about? And, and do you feel that like that loan prepared you to come back, ready to establish yourself in the team further? Um, no, probably not. Um, so loan moves are really funny and still are. I don't, I, you know, that some some work, some don't. We've got lots of young players at our club at the moment, and they want to. They're desperate to go out on loan, and you've got to be careful with that. You know, sometimes the loans don't work out. How do they come back? How do they react? Um, is the club that they're going to the right club now? Uh, Brian. Brian Robson at the time pulled me in one morning and just said, listen, we've had a loan inquiry for you. Sheffield Wednesday, I want you to go. Be good experience. And I agreed. I mean, well, it was a huge club. Went there and, and I went in 
and it was chaos behind the scenes. They'd just been relegated from the Premier League. They had all these players on huge money but refusing to play. Uh, but they were still training. You had, had to legally still get them into the training ground. It was just a weird, you know, I was only a kid. It was just a weird situation to go into. Really strange. Um, played six games. Record wasn't great. I think we lost all six. Um, and it was just a very club to go in at the time um, you always learn from stuff like that but did I come back a better player and ready to fight probably not truthfully it was it was a, it was it was hard work it was it was a difficult difficult month I guess I mean during that that season uh, that was the season Terry Venables was brought into to Middlesbrough as the as the head coach and helped keep Borough up um, how would it kind of feel as as a one player looking in on that situation from the outside um, I mean, did you have any kind of like contact with, with teammates to stay informed on the situation? Um, any, anything like that's going on, really? I suppose it's a, it's an aspect no one kind of tends to think about when when the club's going through that is like how the one players must see that looking inwards. Yeah, well, I think I was back by the time Terry had come in. Um, I'm sure I certainly was in the training ground the day that he did come in and address the players with, with Brian and, and Viv and Gordon. So uh, whether I was just on the back end of that loan. Spell on I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, but actually, um, I did start to get involved with a bit of Terry's team. So, you know, I was back sort of travelling with the squads, maybe not on the bench. And um, there were certainly games I was on, on the bench quite a lot with that. So probably the fact that I'd been out on loan and come back and he sort of played games maybe maybe did help. Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I didn't play an awful lot, but I did feel prior to going to Sheffield Wednesday, I wasn't involved with squads at all. And then coming back from Chef, I, I did start to get a little feel that actually <clears throat> chance of getting some minutes. So um, it wasn't too big an issue, really. How, how was it being part of that squad then with, uh, with Terry Venables coming in? Obviously, you just mentioned there he addressed the players kind of on his first day uh, with everyone. It seems a, a bit of kind of a strange power dynamic between him and Brian Robson at the time. Um, considering the the head coach role would typically be to kind of serve under the manager. Yeah, I mean, it was a long time ago. I can't remember the dynamics exactly, but um, Terry came in and, you know, all I remember is it, it was very, it seemed very fluid. I didn't see many issues there. Um, obviously, somebody with great experience, Brian and Terry had worked with England before and there seemed to be a good dynamic between them. Um you know, the ins and outs of how Terry came in, I have no idea. I don't know how, how that manifested itself, but certainly to our players, all the staff, um, you know, in terms of the senior staff and management, it just seemed to, it, not, not an awful lot changed really. Obviously, Terry took a lot of the sessions and a lot of the training, but there was no, there was no uh, feeling that it undermined Brian in any way when Brian spoke, it still had that power. Um so yeah, it was, yeah. People from the outside maybe look at it was strange, but again, I think you alluded to we had we had a, a squad of quite senior players, and as much as anything, they guide you through as a young player. Anyway, it's it's fine. Um, I mean, at, at the end of that season, um, that was the one where Brian Robson left the club and uh, was replaced with Steve McLaren. Um, firstly, how was it uh, kind of seeing the, the manager who brought you into the team leaving? Um, and also, what were your first impressions of Steve McLaren when he came in? Yeah, it's never nice. I mean, I'm on the other side of it now. So um, I know the, the, how precarious a coach and, and, 
manager's position are. So um, no, it's never nice. And you got to remember, I, I was a Borough fan when Brian first came into the club, and what he did um, for, for not only the players that he brought into the club, but the infrastructure that was built around it. Look at the training ground and the stadium. Brian would have had a, a massive impact in that. And there's no way but we'd have got some of the players that played for us if it wasn't for him. You know, you think, why would the Brazilian player of the year come and play for Middlesbrough? It was because of Brian. So there's always a sadness with somebody who's, who's impacted the club so so heavily leaves. Um, at the same time, you know, the writer was probably on the wall with Terry coming in and, uh, and things like that. It might have been difficult for him to go back to it. And it's probably a natural sort of decision for, for, for the club and, and for Brian to make. Uh, Steve coming in w- was great for me. Uh, you know, I've got to, got to be honest, I, I wasn't particularly featuring an awful lot in the first team. Um, I think I did play a game either the year before or that season that Steve, the very first time I met him, would be Derby 5, I think it was, six, maybe 6, at the, 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 the Riverside. And I played in that game and Steve remembered it. And that was the first thing he said, you know, why have you not been involved as much? I remember you playing this game. We'll see what we can do. And I think Steve wanted to change the dynamic of the squad a little bit and bring some younger players through. Because obviously we come from United and that's how they did it. Um, so I got the best of both worlds. I got my first manager, Brian Robson, who, who was this cult hero of the game. Yeah. And, this, and as my as my game time sort of diminished, I got a new manager that who wanted to promote from within and a bit of youth. So it, it was great for me. Did you notice much of a, a change in culture between the, the two management regimes? Um, culture is probably not probably the phrase I'd use. Certainly, every manager's got different different ways of doing stuff. Honestly, I've, I've worked with um, one, two, probably six managers at senior level. And then when I was doing the 21s at Sunderland, another four. None of them are the same. None of them are the same. They all got different um, different strengths, different weaknesses. All got different ways of going about the work. All got different ideas on how the game should be played. Um, so Steve coming in just had a different way to Brian, and it was it was he wanted to. He was he was more coaching. I would say that Brian had a, a lot of senior players who didn't need coaching. Um, you know, they've been in the game a long time, but Steve wanted to to sort of change the dynamic of the team, and he he was a he was a head coach as well as manager, um, and that suited me. And I was learning the game still, and um, you know, managed to get back, back into the team. And as as you alluded to, there, I mean, getting back into the team, you it was a, a good season to come back in. Um, you were involved in that year's FA Cup run. Uh, and ended in a one nil defeat against Arsenal at Old Trafford. Um, Jaguarly, Borough deserved a win. I was there. I think we deserved a win. Um, I feel like I feel like I got PTSD from Fester's own goal from being there. Just every God, it makes me makes me feel sad. That anyway, sorry, Tom. Um, I mean, what was a part uh, like being a part of that run? Um, but it also must have been a, a pretty special game to to be a part of right at the end of it. It was, I think, barring my debut, it was my, my favourite game, even even though we got beat. Um, I, I remember we stayed in a hotel in Manchester the night before. I did not sleep a wink again. I always got a little bit nervous for the games. And then on the way to the, to Old Trafford, um, 
we, we didn't know, but the, the staff had put together like this motivational video of the cup run up to that point. And as the player, they had clips of everybody doing a tackle or a goal, you know, so every player got a little block of the, the video. And as we played it, we actually pulled into Old Trafford and our supporters at the end where the tunnel is. And it still makes the, the airs on the back of the neck go up now. And it, we, we turned the corner and it was just thousands of Borough fans. And this video was playing. It felt like Gladiator going into the college, <laughs> you know, it was, it was class. It was amazing. And then, no word of a lie, after 15 minutes of the first half, I can't remember a thing. It, it just went like that. I do not remember anything in the first 15 minutes until we missed a couple of chances. And then Hugo does, does his calf, Gianluca comes on, scores the own goal. And then we huffed and puffed a bit, played <clears throat> well. And then my, my last memory is it was, uh, I think David Seaman had a, I think it was Seaman a goal, the Arsenal goalkeeper had a goal kick. And I said to the ref, how long? And he went, that's it. That's it. Game's over. And I don't know if you remember, but Thierry Henry always used to come and play on the left-hand side for them. So I'm playing right full-back. Thierry Henry comes and stands next to me, thinking, waiting for the goal kick. And um, when the referee said, uh, tied it up, he said, oh, very lucky today. Your team played well. I said, thank you. He said, uh, Thierry, can I have your shirt after the game? He said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, I've given it to, I've promised it to Mr. Potato Head. Which is the FA Cup semi-final last minute, right? He said, "I promised it to Mr. Potato Head." I said, "Potato Head," and he just pointed and went, "Windass." <laughs> the FA Cup semi-final, um, but a great game, like you say, unlucky losers, I guess, but um, fantastic, you know, unbelievable atmosphere and occasion. I mean, it's uh, it's unfortunate you don't remember uh, kind of anything from the first fifteen. I mean, speaking of Dean Windass, he's what I remember from the first fifteen minutes in, ma- in that match. I think it was Patrick Vieira who absolutely went through in the first couple of minutes as kind of like a welcome to the game challenge. Yeah, well, we had we had a, a makeshift team as well, didn't we? Did um, Michael Debeve? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, Luke Wilkshire played. Alan Johnston played. Dean played. Uh, I think Musto might have been in, Robbie might have been midfield. I know Jono was out injured. I think Incy was out injured. Uh, obviously, Gianluca came off. Frank. So, yeah, we, you know, we, we were gallant losers, I guess, on the day. Uh, what, what could have been? I, I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's probably one where it, it's, uh, it should have been a win. But, um, also, during your, your time at Borough, you, you changed your international allegiance to Scotland and you got five caps for the, the national team uh, during that time. How did that decision come about and uh, how was that, that feeling of kind of representing Scotland on the international stage? OK, so when rewind to, to when you signed for a club, um, there's lots of forms, as you can imagine, you have to fill in with heritage of where... where your family's from and my grandma was from was, was Scottish but born and raised in Scotland a little place called Campbelltown so you put that on the forms and don't really think much much more about it managed to get into a couple of England under 21 squads but never played in a competitive game um, and then as I sort of became a bit of a regular in the, in the Middlesbrough team um, I can't remember who mentioned it but 
I'm sure it was some of them, it might have been Gordon McQueen or something like that. And I just mentioned, you know, you know, I can play for Scotland. And it was never something that I'd heard or even brought up. It was just a sort of throwaway comment. And um, then Scotland got in touch. Would I be interested? Um, so, so, so it's not the most exciting story, to be honest. It was always there. It was always bubbling under. And then Bertie Volks called me up for a, a couple of squads. Um, funny enough, that we had a we had a game. We had a rearranged Premier League game again at Old Trafford this time against Man United. I think it was a Sunday night or a Monday night, and it was rearranged. It was going into international break. Scotland had a game against the Faroe Islands on the Saturday. And I was called up to the squad and Bertie rang me to say, you need to pull out of the Premier League game. You know, I've called you up to the squad. I said, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. It's, it's all Trafford and the club would never let me do it anyway. Um, so he withdrew me from the squad, which would have been my first competitive game in the Faroe Islands. And they drew 2-2. Two, two. Might even got beat. I think they drew 2-2. Two, two. So in the end, it was a good one to miss. Well, yeah, that's just how it happened. Um, great experience going away with the national team. Went to Hong Kong and Korea before the World Cup and played a lot of warm-up games for, for countries over there. Made my debut at Aberdeen against Nigeria, of all teams. Um, so, yeah, just a, just a really good experience. And I always, you know, how could you turn down playing at that, the highest level international football? You, you know, it would have been stupid. So, no, it was, it was, it, I enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah, and then after that, you know, whilst you were still contracted to Borough, you enjoyed a, a rather successful loan spell at Rotherham. Um, and the following season, it was made permanent. Uh, at the time, Borough had quite a shortage of, of right-backs. Danny Mills obviously went back um, after his loan spell. Then I think Andrew Davies had an injury. Tony McMahon was sort of just coming through after the, the FA Youth Cup win. Uh, so given that opening, do you feel as though you could have staked your claim for that right-back spot or was it a case of, you know, it, it, it was the right time to go? I think I think it was probably the right time. Um, like you say, these young players are coming through. Um, I'd actually had a loan spell at West Ham before I went to Rotherham, mm. and I was going to sign permanently. The, the clubs had agreed a fee, um, so I played Cardiff in the league away for West Ham on the Saturday night, and they had Tottenham away in the cup on the Tuesday. And there was discussions. I wasn't meant to be cup tied, so Middlesbrough first said he can't play in the cup, and then West Ham said, well, if we agree to buy him, then, you know, he's our player, can we do the, do the cup game? And Middlesbrough agreed to fee. Um, and it was due to go through after the cup game. I got injured in the cup game, believe it or not. Um, and then that was my loan spell. So I stayed three months at West Ham and for two of them I was injured after this Scotland <laughs> game. And the loan spell just filtered out. The, the, the permanent got cancelled. So I went back to Borough, obviously a bit scatty, a bit all over the place. I'd lost my place at Borough. I'd lost this potential move to West Ham. And then uh, went, like exactly what you say, went on loan to Rotherham and started to really enjoy my football again. Rotherham in the championship at the time. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we were punching way above the weight. But I, I just really enjoyed the football. Um, I remember one of the coaches at Middlesbrough sort of pulling me to one side to say they were signing Danny Mills when he, when he came in and the chance that I'd be permanent coming through. He said, you, you need to get yourself out of here. You, you're not going to play. You need to go play, go play football. So, so as soon as somebody says that to you, yeah. you kind of know what you have to do, really. Um, 
and then went to Rotherham, really enjoyed it. We stayed in the Championship and then signed permanently the, the summer summer after. Yeah, Ronnie Moore was the manager that, that brought you to, to Rotherham and he, two years later, brought you to Tranmere as well. You know, he's quite a successful manager in the Football League. So has he influenced or had any impact on your coaching career? <laughs> well, Ronnie's a character, I would say that. He's, mm. he's, a, he's The one thing um, Ronnie did, and I, and I hope this doesn't sound... This way, tactics and training was was fine but it wasn't the, 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 the foremost of what he was trying to get out what Ronnie does and it's I think it's a real skill is he gets one player's playing for him but he also gets great characters in the changing room and honestly some of the stories I could tell you about that Rotherham squad were, <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't go on air but <laughs> what he managed to create was this was this tight tight knit group of players but would run through a brick wall for each other, which would then get results. And they had quality as well. Some of the players were very good. You know, sold players to, to much better teams than Rotherham, with all due respect. But uh, Ronnie's skill was spotting the right characters and the right fit of player for what he wanted. Um, and, th- and that sounds bizarre, but if you look at recruitment, that's probably the biggest thing in football. To be successful, you have to have the right recruitment. You have to get the right players in. And not only players that have got ability on the pitch, but have got the right attitude and characteristics off it. Mm, it was nicknamed Ronnie Raw, I think I read, because um, of his, his humour, apparently, at, at Trimia. So, yeah, character indeed. But speaking of your, your coaching career, I actually started at Grimsby, didn't it? Um, being phased into it initially as a, as a youth team coach, whilst also being registered uh, as a player. Um, your first game as a caretaker manager was against uh, AFC Wimbledon, winning the game 2-1. Um, not too bad of a start, that is it? No, I don't remember that at all. Honestly, yeah. I know I had it for maybe six games, I think. Uh, me and Dave Moore, who's the physio, great guy. And I'm pretty sure my record was two wins, two draws, two losses, I think. Um, Steady away, isn't it? it? Yeah, playoff form, really. Not bad, yeah. that. No. Um, now, someone might check that and tell me I'm lying. And if, no, it's a genuine mistake. But something in the back of my mind says it was that. Um, but yeah, it was um, again a really good grounding for me at Grimsby starting. And again, I, I mean this with all due respect, it's a fantastic club. You know, the people there live and breathe the club. But it was starting on probably the, the bottom rung of the ladder in terms of coaching. Uh, you, I, I did everything in that youth set up the footballs for training, cleaned the kit, took it to the laundry, made sure that the pitch was correct for trip. All these things that academies don't do now because you've got dozens and dozens of staff it was me and one other lad uh, but again I wouldn't swap it for the world it, it, it gives you a, a real grounding and even now I still tidy up all my equipment after I don't leave it to anybody else you know it just again I just think it's sometimes the right thing to do as much as anything Mm, well, something came calling uh, after that for you, and it, it was quite a turbulent time there in terms of you know the managerial situation. There were ten managers there when uh, when you were at the club, two relegations as well, back to back. Like I said, a bit of a turbulent time, a little bit of a mess. But did you enjoy your your time on Wearside as a coach? Yeah, I did. I mean, I went in to start with as a, a youth team coach and, and progressed to the under twenty one manager, and we had a really successful team, like a really good team. 
Um, I think back to the, some of the players that played in it. Jordan Pickford was my goalkeeper. John Egan was my centre-back. Watmore, Honeyman, Gooch. Um, who else would have been in that team? Players that have gone on to, to, to represent national teams. We used to, we went on a, something ridiculous like a 21-game unbeaten run, beating Man City. Mm. So I was quite fortunate that the team that I inherited from, from Kevin Ball was, was, was very strong. Um, even in that under-21s we mentioned earlier, I have four different senior managers to work under. Um, Martin O'Neill, Paolo Di Canio, Gus Poyer, and Dick Advocat. Then when Dick, Dick leaves, um, I took training for the first team for a week or two once Sam came into the building. So then enjoyed working with Sam for the remainder of the season. We stayed up. Sam goes to England. And then I worked with David for a year. And then Simon Grayson for four or five months, and then Chris Coleman. So, again, alluding to what we were talking about earlier, um, my role within that changed all the time. Some some managers wanted to have a big influence on training, some didn't. Some of you were just there to support. Um, but all of them different. All of them got their own own ways of doing things, and that's that's what kind of makes it makes it an enjoyable job because you're never quite sure what the next one's going to bring. Yeah, you mentioned it there, how successful that team was. You guided them to a fourth place finish. You mentioned that lengthy unbeaten run there. Um, ultimately, that is you the role as, uh, as the first team coach. Um, so what, what are the key principles of a Robbie Stockdale team then? What is the Robbie Stockdale way? Um, I'd like to think it would be all those principles that we were talking about earlier, hard work, honesty, um, on the front foot. Now, the, the, everybody's got an ideal how you want to play. And, you know, you know, I look at the I look at West Brom at the moment, and you know we're better than what we were. We want to play on the front foot, but occasionally you'll come up against Man City and know that you're only going to have the ball for thirty percent of the time. So then you, you, your philosophy changes because you have to become a counter-attacking team, or um, you might play somebody else and. You know, what was our last game? We played Crystal Palace and we had over 50% possession, so now we have to try and break a team down. So um, I think in general terms, what I like my teams to be is certainly hardworking, certainly play with an honesty, support each other, be on the front foot, create chances. Um, is that always possible at the level that I work at? It's not, no. It's, you know, you're going to come up against better teams than us and it's a way of then trying to... Uh, minimise their strengths to to then expose weaknesses and, and some of the teams we play against don't have an awful lot of weaknesses to be honest mm, That is very true especially in the Premier League but um, Duncan Watman was a player that you mentioned there that you worked with in the under-21s and in the first team as well obviously at Borough now um, what was he like to, to coach because we've heard many a good thing about Duncan Watmore both as a, as a person and as a player Yeah, Duncan's an absolute diamond He's brilliant. Um, so I went to scout Duncan when he was playing at Altrium. Um, so I went to watch, I drove all the way to Altrium to watch him on it uh, in the game, came back and said, we've got to sign him. You know, just, you know he's, he's got, he's raw, um, he, but he can run. And he, you know, sometimes it looked like he, he didn't really know what he was going to do with the ball, but it worked for him. Um, so then Duncan came to us I had him at under-21s and he just got better and better with him. The, the more he trained, the more he played. I think Man United had released him at under-14s. So he sort of had a basic of what the club would be 
be like. Um, but yeah, Dunk is not only is Duncan a, a, a fantastic footballer, he's a, he's a great person. Uh, very, very intelligent, as you probably know, with his, his degrees and his studying. Comes mm. from a fantastic family. Can't speak highly enough of him, to be honest. He was a, an absolute pleasure to, to, to work with. Um, like I said, I, I remember going to watching that first time at Old Trigham and he was getting a, a Player of the Month award on the side of the pitch and he had this big bushy ginger hair <laughs> and, and his kick sort of just dangled off and I thought, oh my God, is that who I've come to watch? Yeah, it looks like a gust of wind's going to blow away. <laughs> and he picked the ball up and he did his bits and he's been so unfortunate with injuries. Mm. Um, but it's sort of testament to him that through those serious injuries... Um, unfortunately one was on my watch when I was caretaker manager at Sunderland um, but through them he's kept coming back and he's always kept that positive frame of mind and that's not an easy thing to do so it shows you that he, he's, he's got a lot of strength to him you know mentally and physically did he ever yeah. consult you sorry to, sorry to, did he ever right. consult you about the move to Middlesbrough at all probably um, not particularly I've got a text from his Dad, after he scored two, did he score two really early on in his in for Borat? Yeah, yeah, he's he's quickly became one of the top scorers as well in such a doesn't, short space of time. Doesn't doesn't take much to do that, mate. <laughs> I text Duncan his dad to say, you know, he's got big shoes to fill now going to Middlesbrough, um, and then he t- his dad texts me when he scored his second goal, and obviously I only scored two for Borat. <laughs> on the lines of. Uh, can't believe it's took him this long to catch up with you with the ball. <laughs> <laughs> he scored in the next game to go ahead of me. I thought you sod you. Um but no he didn't he didn't really consult me. Um you know if he if he I think as soon as you go into the club and he was training for a long time wasn't he before he signed yeah. at the club. I think he'd got a good feel for what it was like uh, fantastic people there and obviously my old town club so I'm not gonna say too much bad about them. Yeah. You're the steady you're the steady right back, Robbie, so you, you can't really compare to be honest. Well, that's true. Two, two wasn't bad then, was it? Yeah, not not bad at all. Not bad at all. Yeah. I was just gonna ask, you mentioned his injury there and, and one of them was under your watch, you said. How do you as a coach, how do you help him through that? Because that was a you know, like you said, very unlucky with injuries. Yeah, do you know when it's a long term injury like that, sometimes you're better off just leaving them alone for a little bit so they can come to come to terms with it. And I and I mean that they obviously have the the the, um, the support of everyone within the football club, um, but when you know that it's going to be a seven, eight, nine months, it, it almost you have to come to terms with that yourself. Um, and what we what we certainly what we've tried to do in the past with and, and is is involve them with things so they still feel part of the group. Because obviously, the worst thing in the world is when you're injured. Even if you're injured for a couple of weeks, is you're in a treatment room, you see everybody else go train, and you're sat on your own. Now imagine doing that for the second time for nine months. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so certainly in terms of just keeping spirits up, getting him involved with tactical meetings that the other players are getting involved with. and It's not easy. You know, I, I wouldn't sit here and say, oh yeah, because we did this, it made it so much better for him. And you know, they still have had those really dark moments like every player would when they're injured for that amount of time. And, especially when it's the second time out, how is he going to come back from that? Um, but you're just there to support. Just there to support. And when those tough times come, make sure that he's got everybody around him encouraging him and making sure that he, 
everyone knows what a special person he is and he'll come back. Yeah, you, you're um, done what one's two teammates this season, Paddy McNair and Ashley Fletcher. You work with them as well. Um, the, both of those have become incredibly important to, to Borough of late. What were they like to work with? Because Fletcher seemed to, to struggle a lot at Sunderland. Fletcher just needed a bit of confidence. He's, he's a confidence player. Um, he, he, you know, once he started to get a run of games and understand what was what the role was, you know, I think sometimes people see him and see this big frame and body and think he's going to be battering people about. And that's not really Fletcher's strength. It's it's movement and playing off the shoulder of people. Um, but the perception is, well, he's six foot three. I don't know what he is, but say, say that. The perception is he's going to be battering centre-halves. And now I think he can get better at that. And we spoke a lot of that at Sunderland. And I see him now and he has bulked up a little bit. I know he's been injured again, so that's probably given him the chance. But he's, he's a confidence player. He's quick. He's got a good touch. Um, so as soon as he gets one or two goals, he'll, he'll, he'll get a lot more. Uh, you've also got Paddy there, who I had at Sunderland, Paddy McNair. I really like Paddy. Good, good player. Um, Kane suffered a, a nasty knee injury at the same time as Duncan. So they, you know, we'll talk about how do you keep the spirits up. They bounced off each other. They were injured within a week of each other with exactly the same. So obviously you don't want that to happen, but the fact that there was two of them, um, you know, they helped each other through. But Paddy, again, I know he's played in lots of different positions, hasn't he, at Middlesbrough this year? He has, yeah. Yeah, I don't well, know. Centre-back, yeah. Centre-back, midfield. I think I saw him play right wing-back. Yeah, Tony Pulis played in right wing-back, yeah. Yeah, well, that's not for me. Um, <laughs> he, it's not for us either. So I always saw Paddy as a box-to-box midfielder. Um, but I could see also him playing centre-back and doing very well at that because he's quick and he can pass and he can head and he can do the bits that you need to do. Um, I think if you'd ask Paddy, he'd probably want to play centre-mid because he's got an eye for a goal. He's got some, some important goals for us at Sunderland towards the back end of the year. Um, and I think if he's fit and you play him in that position, he'd probably, he's probably getting double figures from, from midfield, I guess. Well, I hope so next season if he does play in that position. But I was listening to a podcast that, that Fletcher was on last last year and he was talking about his time at Sunderland and how mentally tough it was because, I mean, you know, we, we all know Northeast fans are passionate, but sometimes it could come out in ways that don't necessarily benefit the team. Did Was it a little bit tough for you as well? Were there any times where you were thinking, oh, this is a bit, a lot? Not really. I think it would be harder for a player, I guess, because they're the ones that are, that are sort of in a firing line on, on the pitch, aren't they? Um, hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. There was, there was quite a few Middlesbrough boys up there that you know might might say it was worse for them. You know, Lee Catamull was there at the time. Um, so I never, I never felt that. Whether people saying it behind me back, that's fine. If you don't hear it, it doesn't hurt you, does it? That's true, yeah. Well, Halloween 2017 approaches and, and Simon Grayson is is sacked. Uh, you're in charge of the tears. We had Derby at the Riverside as well. Um, how was that for you? Really enjoyed it, actually. If I could have chosen one game to be in charge of, that that had been it. Um, it was a pretty dour game, I seem to remember. It wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. It was quite early. Tab scored, didn't Yeah, Tab scored and nothing happened for the rest of the game, I don't think. We missed a great chance just before that. I don't know if you remember Lewis Graben. Yeah. Was it Randolph Save? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. fantastic, yeah. Just filtered out into a bit nothing, didn't it? Um, well, no, it was a great, great experience. And it's 
So it's weird, isn't it? Football always throws up bizarre little things like that. The one game that you get, it's, it's at the, the Riverside. And uh, unfortunately for me, I couldn't turn the ball over, which I was desperate to do. And these things happen. How did you approach that that game? And obviously, Borough fan played at the Riverside. Um, was it strange or was it just a case of business as usual? Yeah, it wasn't wasn't particularly strange. I mean, I've been back to Middlesbrough before as, as staff for, for Sunderland. Um, I've played against Middlesbrough before as a player. Um, so it wasn't, it, you know, it, genuinely, it just made it a bit more special. Mm. You know, if my game had been looting away, would it, you know, it have still been good, but would it have been, had that special, you know, that that little bit of extra. So I just felt, nah, there, was, there was no extra pressure. It, it, it was good. Obviously, our free family wanted me to lose, which was bad. So uh, we were all fans, we brother and everything. So, but no, there was no, I, I didn't feel any extra pressure. I just sort of embraced it for what it was. I knew, I knew Chris Coleman was coming in very soon. So just enjoyed the experience for what it is. And it so happened to be with, with Borough. And then after Sunderland, you, you join Hibs um, as assistant manager to, to Paul Heckenbottom. Um, there's always a very negative perception from people south of Scotland about Scottish football. And I remember when Gordon Strachan came to Borough, he brought in a lot of players that did play in, in the S, uh, SPL and a lot of Borough fans just didn't quite like them. They, they didn't quite work um, at the club. So given that you've coached in both um, Scotland and England, um, can you understand that? Do you see the differences between the two sort of styles of play, if, if there are any? Um, I would say styles of play, oh, there's not a huge difference. You're going to get teams in every division that like to dominate the ball or they like to counter-attack or they play longer passes or the work for set players. So I think in balance, you get a bit of everything in every division anyway. Mm. Uh, the, the one thing with Scotland is um, the league is so... Uh, what's the right word? Um so, so you play Rangers or Celtic and there's 60,000 there. And then and the, the budgets are huge. And then the following week you play, with all respect, Hamilton or Livingston and there's 800 people there. So the, the difference of, of levels between the league itself is, is, quite, is quite big. Um, I, think, I think the level is... It's all comparable, like say in Scotland, you've got a couple of teams that could probably play a championship, maybe Premier League at a push. Then you've got a couple that would be bottom championship and a couple of League One, but they're all in the one mix. So that's, mm. that's, that's the biggest difference. I, thought, I really enjoyed it. Hibs really enjoyed the club. Um, we started off really, really well, probably too well, and then the expectation was, was built up and we couldn't quite live with that in the end in terms of we didn't get the results that we should have. Um, but no, it's Scottish football was good. very intense. I would say that you think it's you think the pressure's on in England, in, in Scotland, it's it's for the crowd are very expectant, and the, like you say, sometimes the expectancy is probably not realistic. That mm. word, but no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it really good. Yeah, it's it's a shame you didn't you didn't uh, reunite with Paul. Obviously, he's now the Sheffield United manager until the end of the season. You've already played them now, so you probably won't see each other. But um, we'll come down to the closing questions, Rob. And you've had 27 years in football now, and counting, of course. Um, what is your greatest ever achievement? Now, there could be one at the end of the season with West Brom, but 
what would what would be your greatest ever achievement in football? I think 27 years is an achievement in itself. Good, isn't it? Yes, I didn't realise it was that. I don't, I don't know, I don't like, I never really think of things as a, an achievement. You, you sort of tick things off as you go along, don't you? It's, you know, your debut, um, and then, you know, getting a, getting on the coaching ladder at a relatively young age because of the injury. So everything's kind of been fast-forwarded for me. I have this great master plan of what every player played till mid to late 30s, going to coaching on the back of that. But I'm 41 now, coaching the Premier League for a few years, coached at different countries. So achievement-wise, it's just to, to keep on progressing, keep on getting better, keep on uh, working as hard as you can. And, and I think on the back of that, you go back to those very first qualities that we mentioned the coaches instilling here at seven, eight, nine, ten years old at Middlesbrough, just, just keep progressing. Never never rest on your laurels. you just got to... There's so many people that want the job that you're in. You've got to just keep being the best you can possibly be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can definitely vouch for like that that mindset that you've got. But looking back, are you happy with what you've done so far? Yeah, it could be better. But in general, yeah, it's going okay. It's going okay. I think everybody, if you don't look back and think, oh, I could have done that a bit better, I could have. Could have told Lewis Graven to put it in the bottom corner instead of the middle goal at Middlesbrough away when I had it. I might have got, but not. In general, yeah, you know, you're not one through regretting really. I think that's you, you try, you try and look forward instead of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but looking forwards, you're 41, still very young in terms of coaching. Um, Robbie Stockdale, head coach, eventually. I think at some stage, yeah. Um, I mean, I've never been in a rush to do anything. And I mean that as a, at 35, I was first team coach at Sunderland under Sam. If you'd have told me that two years prior to that, I'd have yeah. said you have a laugh. So if the right opportunity comes up and I feel that I can have a, a, a good go at it, then yeah, I, I don't see why not. But at the same time, um, I've worked under some fantastic managers you know, I'll, I'll look at that list before. International managers, Advocat, Moyes, Allardyce, um, Coleman. You know, if if I was a head coach, I wouldn't be getting that opportunity to work under them and learn from them. So it kind of, you know, if it carries on like this, brilliant. So the, one of the biggest questions that we ever ask on, on this podcast when we have guests on is, name a five-a-side team for players who you've played with. Um I'll be nice and we'll give you two subs as well if you want to if you want to have the two subs as well. But what is the Robbie Stockdale five aside team? Right. So I've I've gone purely Middlesbrough players that I played with. Okay. I thought that would be much easier to try and limit the amount of players that I could choose. So in goal, uh, Matt Swartzer. Yeah, of yep. course, yeah. Given Swartz in goal. Are we, are we, because if we play proper five side goals. He sort of could lie down and sort of fill them all in, can't he? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going one at the back. I'm going to be quite quite adventurous. One at the back, I'm going to Southgate. Okay, yeah. So if it was 11 aside, I'd put Hugo in. Yeah. So God bless Hugo, yeah. but I'd put Hugo in. But five aside wasn't his particular forte. So Southgate's his defender. Uh, I'm going two in midfield. Okay. And Janine, I'm going for a bit of Brazilian flair in the middle of the park. Don't think you can do that, to be honest, can you? 
Robertson was an absolute beast. Absolutely. Oh, oh, yeah. He was, in, he, you know, so strong, technical, fast. I think for five aside, he, he, he'd be very good. And obviously, Janino can do his little bits. So I've got one place for a centre forward. Uh, the best player I ever played with at Middlesbrough, in my opinion, was Boxic. Mm. Mm, good show. Yeah. When That's he was, a good team. When he was bothered, <laughs> I was unplayable. <laughs> It's it's true that that is true. When he when he was bothered, he was world class because you could look at the goals when he scored against Leicester. Where he scored that dink from about what thirty forty yards, as well. Newcastle as well. He scored that free kick as well. He, he, he was a bit of a loner. He was a bit aloof to everybody else. I actually got on quite well with him. I don't know. I don't know why, but I, I, I did. But I remember one of his first training sessions, and he and he was up for it in this training session. I remember coming off, and I remember the senior players just going like, "Wow." It was almost like an under-18 had been dropped down to train with the under-10s. <laughs> Stronger than them. He was so much quicker. Oh, he was, he was, when, when he was on, he, he, was, he, he, he was world-class. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that's five, is it? Yeah. Do you want a couple of subs? I've got a couple of subs. So I'm, I'm imagining that team is probably going to get a couple of goals up and then we need to sort of Shut it out a little bit. Um, we'll go. I'm in between two for a midfield replacement for Janino because I'm liking him off after he's done his magic. And it'd be Collins or Robbie Musto between the two. Toss of a coin for them two. Robbie was really underrated. Ince was a you know top top player. What class, yeah. Um, so let's go. Let's go Ince and. I need another player on after a subs, subs place. I think I'm going to have to take Boxic off at some time, aren't I? Well, <laughs> well, given that you've just said that when when when, yeah. when his attitude was right, you he'll know, you might... And then he'll, he'll want to come off only to get a little round of applause. So let's go with <laughs> another forward. Oh, I'm struggling now. You've you've played with some great strikers during that era as well, Robbie. So, Rickard, uh, yeah, Rickard, all-time leading yeah. goal scorer for Borough. Is the goal big enough for Hamilton to score in? <laughs> you probably need to probably... kind of relive your youth and and go into the striker position with yeah, Emerson and Janino, yeah, yeah. creating chances. Uh, t- let's go with. Um, tell you, we'll, we'll go with a really, really talented player. Odin. You'll have seen glimpses of him. He played in front. I mentioned him earlier. I'm going with Marinelli in a five-a-side team. Eleven-a-side was too big for him at the time. But Carlos, I'm not kidding you, was the most skillful player. He was more skillful than Janino with the ball at his feet. He could do things that were were fantastic. But I think once we're winning, if we give the ball to Carlos, then he'll he can just go do his little bits and keep the ball for a couple of minutes on his own. Guess he's on the back of, Bor- uh, of Tom's Borough top at the moment. Yeah, it's actually, he actually has got Marinelli yeah, on the back. Yeah, he's actually got Marinelli on the back. Oh, yeah, so I, he never passed to me in 11 aside, so I can't imagine he would in five aside, so that'd be fine. Then it works, doesn't it? It's interesting that with Marinelli because, like, you're saying that he was really skillful, but he never made it, like, properly, like, made it, did he? And we obviously had loads of potential too. So, like, was it, were you, is it, was the pitch just a bit too big for him? Was the 11 aside just not his game? Do you know what I mean? He would have been better at sevens or fives. 
I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek. He was a young kid when he came to us. Yeah. You know, Argentina. It would have been a big deal for him to, to come over at that time. He actually started the season in the team mm. with Steve, I think it must have been. Um, but it, honestly, in training, he was... He, he was he was second to none. He was he was fantastic. He was he was a real sort of and then glimpses of, of him in the matches. Um, but again, it was it was a big ask for him as a young player coming over from Argentina to, oh, to the Premier League. You know, I think we underestimate that at times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I was interested with that, interested in that one. But one final question, Robbie: uh, What is the one piece of advice you would give to someone who wants to become a professional footballer? Um, be dedicated, work hard, try your best. I mean, I played. It's been very kind of what you, what some of the words you've said about myself tonight. But I was never the most talented of players. Um, there was there was more talented players at youth team levels and, and things like that than me but I think not that they didn't I, I just dedicated my life to it you know it was a case of when your mates were going out on a Friday night I was staying in yeah. um, I know that sounds really cheesy but that was the case and, and just work hard you've got the one thing I look at now players and young players coming through is they've all got the ability to get into the building have they got the attitude to stay in it? Yeah. And and that's the biggest thing. If, if, if they haven't got the mental drive um, to keep pushing themselves, and it's not always the coaches that need to push them. You know, we try our best, but the best thing is when a player comes and says, have you got 10 minutes to work on this with me? And you go, yeah, of course I will. But we've got to deal with 40 players every day. So we're, we're thinking about the big picture of getting a team to play well on a Saturday. But if a player comes and asks for knowledge and help and a bit of guidance. That's the best thing. So I would always say that you've got you've got to take ownership for yourself sometimes. Don't just think that other people are going to give, give you it on a plate. You've got to take ownership and, and, and really focus yourself on being the best you can possibly be. And if it's good enough, great. If it's not good enough and you've done that, then you can do no more, can you? You can't. Robbie, that was great. Uh, thank you very much for joining us this, this evening. Really, really enjoyed that chat. It was really insightful and I wish you all the best at West Brom and obviously in future jobs too. Um, maybe that head coach job's going to come around sooner rather than later. It depends obviously what job comes around for you. Um, but best of luck with West Brom. We're hoping we don't see you next year, maybe if you're still with West Brom. Um, but if you do come down, uh, it'd be nice to see you back at the Riverside as well if you, if you do still on. But this has been uh, the Boy Breakdown podcast and that was all your match day chatter in a pod. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 